Well, welcome to everyone who's with us in other states today. We've got several families in Pennsylvania today, a family in Delaware watching. That would be my family. Hello, everyone. Hello, Ava. Um, isn't it cool? Right here, we are, we're seeing uh, evidence of world mission broadcast. And so it's great to be together this morning. And it's great to be summer this morning, isn't it? Um, school is now officially out for everyone. Um, I think Niles was the last one. His school was the last school. Everybody's done now. It's summer. And so I'm wondering, how many of you have already been out in nature somehow? We're just a few days into summer, and lots of hands are going up. I bet there's lots of hands at home. People out in nature all wonder uh, um, already. So I'm thinking, even if you haven't been out yet, your thoughts have turned to being out. You know, people are like, we're looking forward to vacations, right? And where are we going to go? And what are we going to do? And so we're, we're thinking camping, we're thinking hiking, we're thinking um, the lake, we're thinking all kinds of fun summer things. And most of all, included in our thinking, isn't it amazing how often fire is included? We're, if we're camping, we want a campfire, you know? If we're out with, with our uh, family and friends, you know, we want a bonfire, we want to roast marshmallows. Um, we're trying to get some Friday night fires booked uh, for here, and so um, yay for summer and yay for those fires. I'd like to tell you a fire story from my past, from Halloween of 1978. The teen group from the Marley Park Church of the Nazarene was having a party at the Marshall's house, and somehow all the adult chaperones ended up in the house and all the teens ended up in the field at the bonfire. This is not a good plan already. You can see, you see what's coming here, right? And so um, at some point, somebody, and I'm thinking it was one of the Marshall boys, decided it would be fun to, to try to jump through the fire the way you pass a finger through a candle flame and you don't get hurt. This is cool. We can jump across the fire and not get hurt, right? So they did that a few times already. Sheila is getting nervous. Hold, hold on to Sheila. Get a grip on her back there. And, and so um, it, it didn't take long for, for full-on stupidity to take place because these boys, I'm sure it was the boys, I know it wasn't the girls, they decided that they'd go up to the barn and get a gas, a, a gas can. Yeah. And they would throw the gas on the fire, and the fire would flame up, and they would jump through that flame. Cool, huh? And so, you know, they clapping, cheering. I, I think some of us weren't quite sure what to expect. But finally, they threw the gas on the fire, poof, and two boys stood up. And they could not see one another because the fire had flamed up, and they both ran, they both jumped, at the same time, and they collided in the height of the flame. One boy somehow managed to land on his feet and stumble out of the fire, but the other boy collapsed into the fire, shoulder first, full body in the fire. Now, you thought I was ranking on the boys earlier. I will say that it's good that the boys were there because all of us girls were like frozen. But the boys, you know, they, they sprung into action. Thank you, man. David was one of them. 
He had been beside me, and the next thing I knew, he was in the fire, and they were pulling him out, and they were rolling him over to put the fire out, and he was a mess. His hair was singed, and his clothes had holes in them, and there were burns all over his body, and um, he smelled like fire, and, and he was in shock, and he said, do you think anyone will notice? <laughs> we're like, yes because we're taking you to the house and then we're taking you to the hospital. People are going to notice this. So there we were, you know, we were around that bonfire and it felt like we were really living, you know? This is the life. And it was a great night that quickly became the worst night because the fire that was so good we had forgotten was also dangerous and scary. So people ask us, people want to know, what is the best way to live? They want to know that, right? And we, thankfully, have an answer. Fire is the answer. Fire is the way to live the best life. And you're going, what is she talking about? Fire equals God's presence in our lives, God's presence among his people. We know this. We've, we've heard the stories all of our lives. In Exodus, God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. He appeared in the wilderness in a pillar of fire. He descended to Mount Sinai in a consuming fire. Um, in Deuteronomy, the Israelites were to remember the covenant and to remember that God called them to be holy and that he was a consuming fire. Daniel 7, a river of fire flowed out from the ancient of days. Malachi 3.2, God is a refining fire. And then, of course, Revelation 1.14 and 19.12, his eyes look like blazing fire. So fire is equated with God's presence. And the fire is good. It is good. But yes, we can admit it, it's also a little scary, right? So let's look at what we know about fire. Fire is crucial for our survival. We don't often think about this, but it's everywhere. It's hidden in the modern world, but you know, it's everywhere. It keeps us alive with light and heat, you know, light bulbs. Well, now they're LEDs, whatever that is. But you know, Thomas Edison put the little filament in the bulb and lit it on fire, right? That's where light comes from. Um, we cook our food with fire. We purify our water with fire. Uh, we power our cars with fire. We don't like to think about those explosions that are happening in there while we're driving, and we hope that they'll stay contained where they're supposed to, you know? But the fire is what powers our cars and powers our furnaces. We know that fire is dangerous, but we also know that it's good and that we need it. And yes, sometimes God is scary, but God is good. And we need him more than anything else. So let's look to our text this morning and begin to pull a few of these fire thoughts together, beginning with the familiar foundation of John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that we might have eternal life. And what is eternal life? John 17, 3. 
We know this. But it's always nice to read it, isn't it? And this is life. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So life is knowing God. And who and what is God? We already talked about this. God is holy. God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. I'll bet that's one of your memory verses, Sheila. So it's, it's possible, I think, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I think we could rewrite in our minds John 3.16. Don't, don't panic. I'm not going to get heretical. John 3.16 is still John 3.16. But we, we could rewrite it something like this. God so loved the world that he wanted to share his fire with us. <laughs> and sure enough, we're now going to go to the other 3.16. Luke 3.16. And this is what it tells us. When the Christ comes, he will baptize us with Holy Spirit and with fire. We've read that text so many times, but often we just kind of bleep right over it. So let's read it again. Luke 3, 16 and 17. So um, Luke chapter 3 begins with a grown-up John the Baptist preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he references a passage from Isaiah, which I'm going to read. It's verses 4 through 6. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So it's clear that God's salvation is going to be big. It's going to be some sort of an epic earthquake to fill in all the valleys and, and rearrange the earth like that. I mean, it's figurative, obviously, but, but we see that, that John is preaching a big, epic salvation. And his, his preaching is powerful, and people are starting to wonder if maybe he's the Messiah. And so we're going to pick up the story back here at Luke 3.16. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And this mention of fire isn't a fluke, because later in Luke, Luke 12, 49, we read Jesus' words. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. So what does it mean to have God rain down his fire on us? That's a good question, with many multifaceted answers. So do you want sermon number one, or sermon number two, or sermon number three? Or <laughs> Let's just endeavor to tackle a few embers today, shall we? So here's the ground that I plan to cover this morning. There it is. God's holy fire, by definition, can only come from him, and we need it. And the fire can only consume us 
as we submit everything to him, to the flames. And then the fire brings life to us and feeds others. So here it is from another angle. We need, no, that's till the end. We need God's holy, all-consuming fire. It brings light and love and life to us and our whole world and feeds the whole world. So let me ask you this. Do we really believe that we can't save ourselves? Nada, nothing, not even one little bit. We cannot save ourselves. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that we need God more than anything else? Amen. And if we acknowledge that, are we ready to acknowledge that we need his fire? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets a little scary. For most people, the answer here is no. I'm not sure I want that fire. Like, I like some of this good stuff over here about Jesus, but, uh, you know, I don't know. The thing that I think is the most scary about fire is that we know it utterly consumes everything that it touches. When something is on fire, (laughs) it's completely committed, you know? You can't be a flame and also be ho-hum about something at the same time. It just... When you're on fire, you're consumed by that fire. Have you ever been to a house fire? Or um, you can picture yourself there in your mind. There you are, you're standing before this enormous, blazing, destroying fire. Um, it's It's an awful kind of an event. It's a forever kind of an event. And not to get too scientific, because I can't, not a scientist. But when wood burns, it's completely changed. It doesn't stay wood. It's transformed from wood to flame to ember to finally just ash left in the bottom of the fire pit or on the foundation where the house used to stand. The qualities that made the wood wood have been burned away, and it's become something else. Are you connecting where I'm going this morning? (laughs) Do you already see where I'm going here? The process of burning wood turns it into something new, and it can never go back to the way it was. Fire has changed it forever, and that's what God's calling us to. Life with him, by definition, means being completely consumed, completely transformed by his Holy Spirit power. Amen? Amen. Scary, but amen, we think. So David and I had some friends years ago in the Nashua church, and our firstborn daughters were the same age, and so we, we had some great times together, good laughs together. And I remember Cindy telling me a story about her mother. Actually, she told a fair number of funny stories about her mother. But I'm just going to share one today. Cindy had not grown up with believing parents, and when she came to know the Lord, she tried to explain to her mom what had happened to her. And her mom nodded and smiled and said, Well, that's nice, dear. Just don't let it change your life. (laughs) She laughed and laughed over that. Don't let it change my life, Mom. 
But sadly, there are Christians out there today who think that they can have some of God's power and follow some of God's plan, but not really give in, not really follow the whole plan, not really allow God to change their lives. They're just trying to live around the edges, you know? Or maybe they're just trying to jump through the fire, but they, don't, they definitely don't want to be in the fire. I'll jump through it, and I'll go to a couple parties, but that's enough for me. So have you heard the illustration about how when you first come to Jesus, I know many of you have heard this before, um, your life is like a house, and, and you let Jesus onto the porch, right? And then you let him into the kitchen, and, and then maybe you let him into the, the den, but maybe you don't really let him go upstairs. You know, there, there's rooms that, that you lock off from Jesus. You've, you've heard this illustration before. I would propose today that we, we do more than lock those doors. We actually build firewalls around those, those rooms sometimes. Um, we, we don't want the fire of Jesus to get anywhere near, you know, that room or that thing in my life. And, and we know what a firewall does, right? Um, they're particularly useful in row housing. Uh, our kids lived in, in row housing for a while, and we were very glad to know that there were firewalls between each unit and that uh, the town or the state or somebody, somebody had inspected as these homes were being built to make sure that there were firewalls between each unit. So if one house caught fire, you wouldn't lose a whole row of homes. So firewalls, kind of have that image in your mind. The year that I was in, well, the year that I would have been in kindergarten, but I'm too old for that. We didn't have kindergarten back then. But the year that I would have been in kindergarten, my dad built us a house. And I'm not quite sure why, but he built a brick wall between the den and the kitchen. So I called my brother this week. He's our family historian, and he actually went and found the house plans, and he pulled them out and sure enough, right there on the original plans, there was going to be a brick wall between the den and the kitchen. Now, I don't know why my dad put a brick wall there. It wasn't an outside wall. It wasn't a, a house that was expanded later on. This was how it was intended to be from the get-go. Maybe he just liked the look, or maybe he knew that one day he was going to put a Franklin stove in that den. It was going to be cozy and nice. Maybe he was already thinking about a fireball. We don't really know. But my dad's aunt, I called her an aunt back then because I didn't live in New England back then. But now I call her an aunt. My dad's aunt, my great aunt, came to live with us for a time. And that den became her little apartment. And she had a little stove in there. And one day she forgot that she had pork chops on her little stove and she went out somewhere. I was a little kid, I don't remember quite how this happened. But sure enough, next thing we knew, the den was on fire. And, and thankfully, my parents were there, and they were quick, and the fire department was quick, and the firewall held, and, and there was no other damage to the rest of the house. So the firewall was definitely a good thing that day. <laughs> but, but spiritually, we, we just can't start building firewalls around portions of our lives. We, we can't just keep God's control of our life to one little room or two little rooms. We need to tear down our firewalls, right? We need to tear down the brick. We need to let the fire burn throughout every part 
of our minds and our hearts and our plans and our lives. And once we let God's fire burn, once we let God's fire consume us, what happens? So we're going to step out of the hypothetical realm now. We're actually going to put something in the fire. You've been wondering what this was, haven't you? This isn't usually sitting here. Why is this here? So we have a microwave oven, because if I really lit a fire up here, it would not be good. And the fire department would come, it would be bad. Um, but we're going um, to look at some popcorn today. We're going to put some popcorn in the fire, and uh, we're going to settle once and for all butter or kettle corn. The answer, of course, is kettle corn. Duh. All right. So we're going to put the popcorn in the fire. Now, the popcorn goes into the fire. We can't see it because it's in this bag, this side up, okay? Don't want to start a fire here. So the popcorn just went into the fire. And it's, you can picture what the kernels look like. We've all seen popcorn kernels. They're hard. And they're, um, they're useless, really. They're in it. Did my battery die? Did my fire go out? Uh-uh. All right, so once the popcorn gets exposed to the fire, or in this case, the microwaves, it's going to pop open, right? And the beautiful, fluffy, pure white inside is going to get exposed. The fire is going to turn these kernels into what they were meant to be. Now, while we're waiting on the pop, let's just take a wee bit of a sidebar in the midst of all this fire talk. Um, this illustration of God being an all-consuming fire, we can actually take comfort in this illustration. It's actually what I'd like to call a burning truth. Yeah. This is a hard crowd, okay? So the burning truth is that the, the, the fire illustration is, is what God's using to help us understand that he is single-minded in his love and his passion for us. See, fire doesn't just equal life. It equals love. God would love nothing more than to draw us to himself and make us whole and healthy what we were meant to be, holy, like him, right? So we're going to get to the glory through the fire. Paul, in that well-known passage in Romans 12, 1 and 2, reminds us that we need to offer ourselves as sacrifices to God and so to be transformed, right? Crawl up in there into the fire. And then in 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is what he writes. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we all, hmm, with unveiled faces, no firewalls, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed, I would say, into his image and his fire, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. We all. This is happening to all of us. Popcorn is not an individual sport. 
You never pop just one kernel of this, right? It's a whole bag of it. Ooh, and it's hot. David, would you come open this for me now that I'm holding this microphone? Oh, it was the microwave that was messing. Ah, okay, you can just put it in that bowl that's over there on the top of the microwave. Thank you. So God's plan is for all of us, all of his body, all of his family, all of his church to be transformed and to reflect his glory. Doesn't that look good? Aren't you glad I didn't make the butter? Ooh, it would be smelling right now. Oh, it would be terrible. Yeah. So, um, but this is why popcorn is popped, right? There's really only two reasons you pop popcorn. One is to put it on your Christmas tree. <laughs> and it's in a string then, so it's still not an individual sport, right? And it looks pretty. But popcorn is meant to be food. It's meant to feed people. It may be not high nutrition, but who said amen? <laughs> it's meant to feed people. See, we're not meant to just look good. We're not meant to just be holy for ourselves. We're meant to feed people. And when God pours his fire out on us and in us, we should be feeding the world. Amen. So God told the people in Leviticus 6.12 that this isn't just a one-time thing. Right? How many of you have only had popcorn once in your life and you're done? Not a one-time thing. Leviticus says that the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. And that's why a lot of churches often have candles burning on the communion table. And we have one here today uh, as a reminder that the fire must never go out. Why am I holding this? Let me put this down. Sorry, it's agonizing, isn't it? But um, Paul updates this metaphor from Leviticus, and he broadens it out to include not just the temple, but our, our lives as well. And he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Huh. But that is what we so often do, isn't it? We try to put out the fire, or at least limit the fire, right? We only allow portions of our lives to be near the fire. But what good would it be? There's always a few. There they are. They're in the bottom. This is the part nobody wants to eat. These are the kernels that didn't get popped. You can't eat them. They're useless. They didn't get enough of the fire. They're like the boys that just jumped through the fire and didn't actually get in the fire. Now, here's a crazy thing. The things that we hold back, the things that we are too afraid to give to the scary, dangerous fire, it's actually a great and good and wonderful fire, the things that we hold back from the fire, guess what happens to them one day? They get burned up in another fire. Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the fire that's being reserved for the devil. There, there's going to be a fire one way or another. And the things that we try to hold on to are just going to end up in that fire. And so why not, why not give them to God now? Why not 
use them for God's glory now. Um, Matthew 3.10, I want to turn to that. We're going to another 3.16. Three 3.16s today. That'll help you remember. When you go home and you want to look up these passages, just remember 3.16. They're everywhere and they're good. Um, so not only does Luke tell John the Baptist's fire story, but Matthew does as well, also in chapter 3, Matthew 3. And Matthew's message is clear. If you're reading along through Matthew 3 and you get to verse 10, this is what he writes. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So there it is. But let's go back to the good fire. Put aside the bad fire. The good fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let's remind ourselves today as we're beginning to wrap up, what does this fire bring us? We've been talking about this this whole morning. This fire, this Holy Spirit fire, brings us light and love and life. I love that Exodus story of the pillar of fire. I love that it gets repeated several times through the Psalms um, in a very much a rejoicing, excited, um, lovely, loving way. The psalmists talk about this pillar of fire. Psalm 105, 39. He spread out a cloud as a covering. It was a good thing. He spread out a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. Isn't that beautiful? We couldn't live without God's light and God's warmth, just as surely as we could not live without fire in our furnaces during cold New Hampshire winters, just as surely we can't live spiritually without God's fire and warmth. And we all want warmth, right? L.L. Bean knows this. You ever get an L.L. Bean catalog in the mail? It's wonderful. You open it up and there's beautiful, warm, cozy flannel everywhere. I mean, they make a lot of money. They make, this is their bread and butter, right? Warm, cozy flannel clothing and bed slippers and blankets, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So we all want warmth, and we all want light, and we all want life. We want these things for ourselves, right? I'll take some of that. Yeah, that's on the menu. Serve it up, right? But we don't want that just for ourselves. We want it for our children. We want it for our neighbors. We want it for our world. And so does God, right? We want those that we know and love to see Jesus. And we pray for them to see Jesus. And what we don't realize is that the only way this is gonna happen is if we submit to the fire. We love our kids. We want them to know Jesus. We need to submit to the fire. 3,500 years ago, Moses was talking to God. The conversation is recorded in Numbers 14. He's talking to God, and Moses says, Lord, the nations have seen and heard of the pillar of fire that you go before us and you are with us. And the question today, 3,500 years later, is can the world still see it? Does the world still see the pillar of fire? If they're going to see it, they're going to have to see it in us. I love that quote 
by John Wesley. At least we think it's John Wesley. We're not really sure. It might have been Charles. There's a couple versions out there on the internet. I'm going to have to put my daughter, the librarian, to work on really getting into the nitty-gritty of the internet and figuring this out. But we're going to pretend that John Wesley said this today. And even if he didn't, uh, this is the quote of the day. I wish I'd put it on the PowerPoint, but I didn't. You just have to remember it. The quote of the day. Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Isn't that great? Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. There's a great song. I'm always looking for new songs. This is, this is a great song um, written by Libby Beasley. It's called, Lord, Pour Out Your Fire. And it should have become really popular. Great tune, great words. But I think I know why it never became very popular, because here are the words. This is the verse. We cry out for the nations. We cry out for your kingdom to come. We cry out for the nations, for the people who need your love. Oh, isn't that nice? You get sucked right into that, don't you? Beautiful. I love that verse. And then, then she goes to the chorus. Lord, pour out your fire. Lord, pour out your fire. Lord, pour out your fire. And, and we're, all, we're all with her, and we say yes. And then the next phrase is, pour it out on us. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? And then she keeps singing, Lord, pour out your fire. Lord, pour out your fire. Lord, we need your fire that we might share your love. See, not only do we not get God's love and life without God's fire, but neither will those we love. So let's go back to the purpose of the fire. Way back in Exodus 19, the chapter before the Ten Commandments were given, the people are at the base of Mount Sinai, and God has descended uh, to the top of the mountain in, in a consuming fire. And he's talking to Moses, and he tells Moses what he wants. Exodus 19, verse 6. God wants his people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what he's always wanted. And Jesus said the same thing. We already read it back in Luke 12, 49. Jesus said, I have come to bring fire on the earth. So the call we have to receive the fire, the call we've been given to, to the walk of fire. We're, we're not going down the Basin Cascades Trail today. We're going down the fire trail today, right? The call forces us to make a decision. Because if we choose the fire, we're inevitably going to be separated from the world. In fact, we're going to be separated from ourselves because the fire creates a separation from our old ways and our old selves and calls for radical obedience to God's lordship. So one more time today, we're going to go back to our text, the other 316. Luke 3:16 and read it one final time. Luke 3:16 to, to 18. John answered them all, "I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. He was just talking about fire, but he calls it good news. And the fire is good news. <laughs> but what if we don't want our chaff burned up? Right? I mean, that's the crux of it. I mean, and Jesus makes it clear. He, he didn't come to bring material wealth or power or an easy life. And selfish, sinful men and women will not naturally and willingly submit to the fire. They don't want their chaff burned up. Right? But the spiritual and eternal rewards will far outweigh the cost of being fully committed, fire-walking disciples. And the best way for people to see the presence of the kingdom in power on the earth is for us to say yes to the fire. So I have these matchbooks, and Jerry and Martha are going to help me. They're going to make sure that you each uh, get a matchbook. I'd like everyone to take one and be holding on to it together for just a moment. The matchbooks say, say yes to the fire. And we're going to let these matchbooks be symbolic for our hearts and lives. Now, don't worry, we're not going to light these matchbooks. So you're going to get to take your matchbooks home with you. And, and you can do what you will with them. But I propose that you light them on fire in the safety of your own home, near a sink or a tub, or in my case, a cup of water. I have a cup of water handy here. When you were a kid, didn't you always want to just light the whole matchbook on fire? We're, don't, we're not going to do it now. You're just holding on to your matchbooks that say, say yes to the fire. And you could just light one match. And I mean, when I was a little kid and had my first experience of being allowed to light a match, and that was pretty cool. Wow, I got to light a match. But it didn't last long, right? It was just one little match. I'll safely put it in the water. Don't get worried. But that's not how we're meant to live our life, right? We're meant to live our life completely completely devoted to God. And if you're at home, you're either going to have to imagine this happening, wow, or maybe you're going to go and get your own matchbook at home. Let this, let this image be the image of how God wants us to live. Now, I'm going I'm to destroy the image now. I'm going to put it out. This is where the symbolism breaks down a little bit, right? Because... We don't ever want the fire to go out in our own spiritual lives. But when you get home today, find a little quiet place and just take some time and ask God to rain down his fire upon you and light your matchbook on fire. And then if you want, you can do like I just did and put the fire out and you can keep the matchbook as a little reminder that God wants us to be on fire for him. He wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit power.
Bow your heads and let's pray. Lord, we have acknowledged today that we need you more than anything else in the world. And we've explored this symbolism of fire like so many other symbols of your Holy Spirit power in our lives. The, the symbol of the potter and the symbol of the oil and the symbol of the full immersion of baptism. Lord, so many different ways you've given us to, to try to show us what you want for us. And we thank you for speaking, for continuing to speak, even though we're a little hard-headed, we're a little hard-shelled. Lord, would you apply your fire and would you pop our hard kernels of life so that the pure white fluffiness would show? Would you feed our hearts and spirits this morning? Would you feed others through us? Lord, we're going to take a minute in quiet and we just pray that you would speak and that we would listen. Just ask the Lord right now if there's any remaining firewalls in your house that need to be torn down. Seems scary. Seems counterintuitive. Certainly not understood by the world. Why would we tear down a firewall? Lord, help us to do it today. Help us to say, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. And then, Lord, make it so. Make it so in our lives. Make it so in our families. Make it so in our church. Make it so in our world, we pray. And together, all of your people say, Amen. Amen.